Good evening, everyone. Some of you that are out in the uh, other room may want to move in. There's, there's plenty of chairs in here. When I was asked to give a talk a couple months ago, I thought I'd have plenty of time to prepare a talk, that something would come to me to say. And as the time got closer and closer, I found that I didn't know what I wanted to say. And I started to get more and more anxious about that, feeling that I really ought to have something real important to be able to, to, to share with you all. And I was relating my problem to Sister Elizabeth yesterday evening, and she was telling me, Jim, that's great. You've achieved don't know mind. <laughs> and at first I thought, it, you know, I took it a little lightly, but I, I realized that um, that really is the practice to let go of what we think we know, the, conce- the concepts that we have of, of reality, um, and instead just experience each moment fresh. So I thank you. What I want to explore tonight is what is it that um, has brought each of us to practice together? And so the, the first question that, that I posed in, in the uh, reflection practice is something that I would like to talk about for myself, and then later I would like um, for everyone in the group to have an opportunity to share what is it that brought you to this practice? And the second question is, what keeps us practicing? What keeps us coming to, to um, either practice here in this center or practice at home? What is it that we think is going to happen? Um, what brought me to practice was a crazy relationship. Really a crazy relationship with my own life. I was working, this was about six years ago, I was working on a project that was way behind schedule and way over budget. And I felt totally, totally overwhelmed. And I wanted some way out of the, out of the, um, the anxiety, out of the stress. And I thought the way to find happiness was to find a really intense relationship. And I became very obsessed with this woman. And I had become convinced that if somehow, if she became as obsessed with me as I was with her, that we could both be very happy and contented. Now, I know that that sounds crazy. Well, I guess it is crazy. Um, but somehow that, that just kept coming up, that that was, that was how, to, how to work with with the, the stress and the um, unhappiness was to, to look outside of myself for some kind of a relationship, somebody that would make my life better. And it almost worked. That is, until she actually did start getting obsessed with me, in, in which case, instead of finding happiness and contentment, we had high highs and low lows and all sorts of tumult 
And so it was um, kind of the first um, insight that I had in this practice um, about attachment. Let's see. Where that led me, first of all, was to learn how to meditate even before I had learned how to meditate. I was laying in my bed on Christmas Eve and couldn't fall asleep. I felt so much energy coursing through my body, worrying about how this relationship was going to go and um, what did it mean about me and all of those kind of questions. And at first I was trying to figure out some way that I could just fall asleep to get away from all of this this worry and all of this energy. And then suddenly it dawned on me to just lay perfectly still and just let whatever was going to happen, happen. To just let this all of these emotions run through me um, and just pay attention to them, not try to um, change them in any way. And this went on from about 11 at night until about 5 in the morning. Just continuous, um, like feeling my whole body just humming. And finally, about 5 o'clock, it subsided and I fell asleep. And I woke up about two hours later fully refreshed. I was able to go through all all of Christmas Day just feeling uh, energized and happy. And so that was, I think that was kind of my first meditation experience without even getting instruction about just the value of paying attention to what's going on uh, moment to moment. About a month after that, I came to this Sangha and got my first meditation instruction and heard my first Dharma talk by Gil. And what he talked about was suffering. And it felt so wonderful to hear him talking about suffering because that was my experience was at that moment was suffering. And every other spiritual tradition that I had participated in before that had always um, kind of pushed suffering into the corners of the room or behind a curtain somewhere. This was the first experience I had where suffering was brought into the center, brought to center stage, and I was really encouraged to look at it honestly and compassionately and um, get to know it. And after hearing that Dharma talk, I knew that this, this is where I wanted to be, this, this practice, this Sangha. And so for about a year, I would, come, I would come every Monday night and I would sit and meditate for 45 minutes and then I would listen to a Dharma talk. And then as soon as it was over, I would get up and walk out into the stillness of the night, just feeling the, the um, peacefulness 
and the uh, the silence that had um, kind of been created inside in the course of that hour and a half sitting. And so the first refuge that I took in this practice was refuge in the Dhamma, reference in the truth of my experience. After about a year of that, I found that I really wanted to talk about my experience with other people. And I found that when I would um, talk with my friends outside of the Sangha, I really wouldn't hit much of a resonance. It wasn't hard. It was hard for me to explain what I w- the insights that I was having and um, the experience of meditation. And so I decided that I wanted to start to make connections with other meditators, with other people from the Sangha. But I didn't quite know how to do that. And again... Sister Elizabeth came walking up to me one evening and said, I would like to be your Dharma friend and get together and talk about practice. I didn't know that you could do that. I didn't know you could just walk up to somebody and ask that. Um, But it was a wonderful gift. And since that time, I've gotten involved in the Dharma Friends, which is uh, an organization associated with the Sangha, to create opportunities for people to get together and talk about practice and um, both the meditation practice and their practice in day-to-day life. And that's been very helpful to me. I've found that as much as I learned from listening to teachers both um, here in the center and also on long retreats, that having other practitioners, other students um, to talk to on a regular basis really helped support the practice for me, really helped me um, discuss the problems I was having, share the, the insights and the joy that were coming up, and um, help dispel some sense of isolation that had um, I had fallen into over the years. The Sangha is very fluid. I find that the people that I knew five years ago, many of the people that I knew five years ago are no longer... Um, coming here, and many new people have come since then. So um, I find it a continual challenge to to um, meet new people and form new spiritual friendships. But I think that's really what what helps keep the practice alive for me. What keeps me coming back to this practice. The other um, aspect of the practice that's kept me coming back is doing long retreat practice. Um, I remember when I first started sitting with this group, I would hear Gil talk about, um, he would encourage people to go on retreats of 
um, you know, 8 to 12 days or 8 to 14 days. And I couldn't possibly imagine what being silent for that long would be like. You know, is it even possible? Um, but what, what brought me to that was sort of a sense of curiosity. You know, well, what would happen if I was silent for 12 days? What, what would I face? I found some of my longest held Dharma friendships have been with people that I've gotten to know mostly through sitting next to them in silence for 10 to 12 days. Even though we we weren't speaking to each other, there was just a um, sense of connection through the the sitting together and... um, getting a sense of them struggling with many of the same things I was struggling with, with the um, bodily pain, the, um, some of the emotional pain. Quite often you might hear somebody starting to cry during a, during a meditation. And then sharing our experiences together as we came out of silence at the end of the retreat. So that's... The retreat practice has been something that's um, been very valuable to me in this practice. So I think the second refuge that I took was refuge in the Sangha. Feeling supported by uh, other meditators in the group. Um, and, and other meditators that I've met um, at retreat centers and other and other Dharma centers. More recently, I've been challenged by practice in a way that I hadn't thought about. My expectation was that after several years of meditating on a routine basis, that all of the things that I hadn't faced in my life, that I didn't want to face, would somehow disappear that I just wouldn't have to, I just wouldn't have, that they would be replaced by a sense of joy and a sense of constant bliss and all of the the doubts and all of the fear and all of the um, uncertainty that I had experienced earlier in my life. Somehow that would just magically drop away as I became a better and better meditator. Uh, The teachers had been warning me that that's not the way it works, but you know, I wasn't wasn't ready to accept that. So more recently, I've been 
been having to face middle age. I just turned 51, and I had a physical, and the doctors told me that my eyesight isn't quite as good as it was last year, and my my hearing isn't quite as good as it was last year, my blood pressure's higher, I have a broken leg. (laughs) Um, And I forget the names of people that I know very well. You know, just, you know, like you'd think that their name would just be on the tip of your tongue and instead I'm fumbling with, oh my God, who's that, what's that person's name again? So my memory has been uh, failing me in some ways. And I've been thinking, this isn't supposed to be happening. I'm a meditator and I'm a Buddhist. I live a good life. But no matter how one lives, eventually the body starts to give out. And I've been kind of um, in shock and disbelief. This, This sense of who I am the sense of how I want my, my body to be, how I want my world to be, has, I've found has been incredibly fragile and I can't hold it together. It seems to fall apart on its own accord. And so I've thought, well, maybe, maybe I'm not meditating right. Maybe I'm just not doing this practice right. Fortunately, I have some good friends that can um, encourage me in these times of of doubt and and, uh, disappointment. One friend of mine sent me a a quote the other day from Jack Cornfield. Well, I had described to her about how I was feeling like my whole career that I had put together and, and my my identity as a scientist seemed to be um, falling apart. And I wasn't sure how much longer I could work as a scientist. And so she sent me this quote by Jack Cornfield, who some of you may have heard of. He's a teacher at Spirit Rock and also uh, an author of a number of books on uh, Buddhism and Buddhist meditation. The painful breaking apart of our world is often the precious opportunity our heart has needed to learn to be true to itself. I'll read it again. The painful breaking apart of our world is often the precious opportunity our heart has needed to learn to be true to itself. For me, that's, that's a, a faith statement. Some, some, having faith that this breaking apart of my identity, of my body, 
of my intellectual capacity will lead to something um, lead to something deeper lead to being more open-hearted and more accepting of life as it as it unfolds still I find almost every day when at some point in in, in the day um, out of nowhere some fear or some anxiety arises and the momentum of my mind the 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 training of my mind for 50, 50, approximately 50 years has been to um, run to run as fast as I can from that experience but what I'm finding is if I can remember to just stay to just stay present with that fear with that um, experience um, that it will pass it may require some action on my part, but I don't have to run away. I don't have to keep running. There's another um, quotation that I had read just the other night in this book um, called The Places That Scare You by Pema Chodron. This was a quotation by a Zen teacher, uh, Charlotte Joko Beck. She says, The secret of life that we are all looking for is just this, to develop through sitting and daily life practice the power and courage to return to that which we have spent a lifetime hiding from, to rest in the bodily experience of the present moment, even if it is a feeling of being humiliated, of failing, of abandonment, of unfairness. So it's taken a while for that to sink in for me, and I forget it all the time. That each of these experience, each of these fears that comes up, each of these uh, anxieties. Um, is a teacher, you know, is there for me to learn from. And I'm pretty sure that if I hadn't come to this practice, I'd still think that running every time I was scared was the best way to deal with it. So... I'm not sure what else to say about that. Um, 
I think the, the, the final refuge that I've taken is refuge in the Buddha. That is, becoming aware of the potential of waking up, the potential of being present for these um, difficult moments and actually some of the very, also some of the very joyous moments, um, that that actually is possible at every single moment in my life, not just when I'm sitting on the cushion or when I'm with good friends or feeling happy, but that that's a potential for um, every moment. So... I'd like to offer you now an opportunity to talk about what has brought you to practice and what, what you've discovered, what, what you find valuable. I should also say that one of the foundations of, meditation, of um, this practice is generosity, that what helps support meditation practice is um, cultivating generosity, and that, and that includes sharing um, your experience with each other. I think that can be a very powerful part of this practice. So um, I open it up um, to all of you. Yes. It's a really evolved question. One of the habits that I've formed in the, the year or so that I've been really sitting regularly um, is uh, these five little things I do at the beginning. And one of them is to ask myself the question, why am I doing this? And I notice a lot of different answers. Some of them are arranged to the just because something in me knows that at this moment this is the right path to be on. It's as simple as that. Sometimes it gets more cerebral. Sometimes it has to do with a real tangible feeling of refuge. Mm. Um, but there's also a feeling that as time goes by, things begin to connect, um, even in thinking about why am I doing this, and, and I begin to see this sort of panorama of experiences that I might have had five or 10 or 20 years ago, and, and how it all sort of seems to be a flow towards this moment and then through this moment whatever's coming next. So um, it's a difficult question to, to, to find any one answer to. Hmm. A lot of different things. As as for the what keeps me doing it at this point, um, I'm rather overwhelmed this week because I just came back from the first ten day retreat. The first meditation retreat I've been on in fifteen or twenty years and the first in the Buddhist tradition. And um, I'm, I'm just at a loss for words. I've been yes. finding myself looking for all of these times. When can I meditate? When can I meditate? Just trying to... Uh, I don't want to grasp onto that experience too hard and try and drag it back to this environment, which is so weird. But um, if, um, I would urge anybody that hasn't done it, if you're all of the, the frame of mind that says, well, what would it be like to be silent? 
for two days mm. or more or less. Give it a try. That's the only way you'll find out. Thank you. I should have said in, in the reflection practice, it isn't necessarily that you even want to find an answer, but just the, the process of act, asking that question perhaps over and over can bring up some very interesting insight.
found that they proved themselves again and again to be true. It was hard for me to argue with that truth of my own direct experience. And I guess, to, to, just to let you know, obviously, as you can see, I'm a nun. And uh, I became a nun about a year ago in, in Thailand, I ordained. And um, I guess that it was a consequence of finding uh, the right situation, a teacher who I felt um, knew the teachings deeply and uh, who wanted, wanted me to, uh, to learn the teachings, and anyone to learn the teachings, um, and was willing to put forth a tremendous effort for that. Uh, and really, really ultimately, it just had to do with the power of the Dharma, or the power of truth. There's a kind of power in Touching what we in our heart know to be true, right? When we touch that place of something that, oh, we know this is true. No one has to tell us it's true. We don't have to read it in a book. But we know. We know in our heart. So for me, it was um, just an opportunity to fill, fill my heart more and more uh, with the Dharma. I mean, I don't think that it's necessary for people to ordain to do that. It just happened to be uh, where my path happened to lead. So that was a long answer. Mm. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm going back to Thailand tonight, so this is my last chance to speak English for a while. <laughs> <laughs>
did some short retreats. What brought me to practice was uh, my own intense suffering also, and the responsibility I felt to myself to somehow better myself or gain insights into my, my pain and suffering and uh, the happiness that I sought. Um, I got into raising my children and supporting my children, and for the last, say, 20 years, I've just been practicing by myself in an isolated way. I've had an on-again, off-again practice. And um, I just realized um, I didn't know that this place was here on the peninsula. You know, that there was, there weren't, I didn't know that there were any groups so accessible. And so uh, I'm so happy when I found them at uh, this place. And um, I really feel it's so necessary to, you know, this, being isolated as I was is a very, very difficult way to practice. And um, I really feel embraced and safe, you know, here by this energy. Um, I just feel so grateful. Um, I'm just going to take it at my own pace and establish some sort of continuity and to see what happens, you know. Um, just have that big don't know, but I just want to have that intent, that that hunger, that direction toward. Um, because I noticed when I wasn't, when I would skip meditation, or I, I didn't have an ongoing thing, when I had some holes in my practice, that it gets pretty crazy. I mean, it's, I just feel it's uh, almost impossible for me to live like that anymore. Mm. Uh, it's just too painful. Um, you know, being lazy-minded and watching TV and all that kind of stuff, just <laughs> wasn't raising the beautiful flowers that I want, you know, so I'm just glad to be here and um, what keeps me going is um, I just kind of feel like what greater purpose is there, I mean, for myself, speaking for myself, than to, you know, cultivate these qualities that the Buddha or, or Christ had and to share those with everybody. So again, you know, I'm just glad to be here and Thank you all. Yeah. Thank you. Yes? I had a similar situation to the gentleman behind me where I've been practicing for a number of years on my own and never quite felt any connection to anything. And about a few weeks ago, I started having a series of dreams. And the first dream, I was in a country, I don't know where I was, and in the midst of a terrorist attack. And I'm standing there in buildings that are crumbling around me, being attacked, and I didn't know what to do or where to go, and I ended up going to a Buddhist temple. And I entered there, and I felt very safe. And a few days later, I had another dream where I was on a retreat. Never been on a retreat in my life. And I was on a retreat, and I just kind of knew that this is where I needed to be. And then a few days later, my wife, who works with my friend here, Susanna, came home and said, you know, Susanna's been going to this meditation center. And I've been looking all over the peninsula, obviously not hard enough for meditation. <laughs> <laughs> and Susanna contacted me and said, how would you like to go? And uh, we came here last Thursday night for the first time, and... Bud was leading the beginner's meditation session, and 
I had, I knew that I was in the right place. I knew that I had found what I was looking for. And even more than that, I'm a trainer and facilitator, and I've been struggling, also a former scientist and engineer. Mm -hmm. And I've been struggling for years trying to figure out what is it that I want to train. And I've always somewhat known that it was the Dharma that I wanted to train people with. Mm -hmm. And as I was listening to Bud, all I kept thinking was, this is what I want to train people with. This is what mm -hmm. I want to do. So it's been kind of a very, very fulfilling two weeks for me or a week for me now. <laughs> Just all these things somewhat serendipitously coming together. It's been very exciting. And I'm looking forward to seeing where it takes me next. Well, thank you. It's an inspiring story. Great. Yeah, I think seeing that it's not the presence or absence of pain, but one's relationship to it that that can change. I like that prepositional phrase. <laughs> Sense of um, this is it, but you don't know why this is it, but it just felt right. 
<laughs> so here's, here's another, another chapter in what I was saying before, many different reasons. Some of them seem, it was just a, the roll of the, of the dice. Um, about a year some ago, I went for a job interview, and one of the, the people that we were out to lunch, having big lunch in the middle of the interview process, and um, I was with a group of people from the place I was interviewing with, and they, they turned and said, this guy's a meditation teacher. And it turns out that um, he was a, uh, he's been meditating for a long time. And um, that was the entree that eventually, okay, thinking back on it, I don't see how the story would have gone where I would be sitting here in this room right now if that event hadn't happened. And it's something that at the same time, it feels like a roll of the dice, it feels like something much more imbued with, with meaning than that for me, at least, in that the conditions came together again to, to start to, to turn towards actually sitting right here meditating previously. And since that time, 
that the number of, of moments when I've had that feeling of connection with other people, with the world, with events that go on um, has, has been happening more and more regularly and frequently. And I find that that's something that really strikes a chord when, when it feels like everything does make sense, when the connections that we usually don't see become apparent somehow. And so that's one of the things that, that I feel has been a, a real fruit from just trying to pay attention, is having my attention fall to, to the way things are connected. And um, there's a lot of paradox in it, so I wanted to begin to try and describe that because I don't get twisted up in the game. You don't want to keep hearing me talk. <laughs> well, you don't have to talk. In fact, I was thinking, um, why don't we sit for maybe another uh, five minutes just to come to a, come to a uh, close. Thank you all for listening, and thank you for your practice.